This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Mint Mobile. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show that will save you money. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Friday, February 3rd, 2023, and I have the fabulous Narav Gondir here with me. How are you doing, my friend? Hello, darling. Oh, it's so good to have you on again. It's funny, the only time I ever use Skype is for the Miriam Joie podcast, so what's interesting is when I fire it up, I'm like, oh, has it been for eight months? <laughs> God damn. Yeah, oh no, like, has it been, no, it's two months. That was the last one was two months ago. Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, I am kind of old school. It just works for me, you know, it's just a good workflow and it's not too much of a hassle, I think, for most people once I walk them through it. So uh, listen, it's Galaxy Week, so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. There's a bunch of other news too that are interesting that are kind of leading up to, <laughs> yes, you're showing your phone, that are leading up to MWC. Here's my phone, for those of you who are wondering. We have the same wow. color review units. Pretty much all of us have the same color review units, huh? I but I actually asked for it, so I gotta say, oh, like, without nice. without going into it too much, I was like, "Hey guys, uh, what colors?" And they were like, "Well, we think it will probably be like cream and green." I was like, "Cream, please." I don't want it's funny because they said they only had cream when I was there and I didn't show up late either. Like I was there early on. So honestly, I don't care. Green is fine too, but I, I think this cream is the best color this year, to be honest. It's, it's a, it's a nice little difference, you know, because depending on the lighting, it looks white. Sometimes it looks almost yellow and it's got that pearlescent effect. I think that's really cool. I like the fact that the edges are, are light, you know, some sort of silver. What is it? Gold. Yeah. It's kind of a light, light gold. And, and I feel like, you know, I came from an S22 ultra that was the black model and it was just boring. Like this is it. It's boring. I don't mind a black phone. Like sometimes it's nice to have a black phone. Like I think the nothing phone one in black looks really cool, but I feel like for this phone, I was kind of getting tired of the black of my S22 ultra. So I'm happy I have a light color this year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Fisher and he said this. It was like, these colors are just boring. And that's the biggest problem. So I agree. Where's the Aurora bronze? Where's, sorry, I know we're probably going completely off kilter to your brand. No, (laughs) no, this is important. We're talking about the phones. Look, it's funny that you mentioned the colors because in my hands-on on hot hardware, you'll see it in the show notes, guys. I mentioned that. I said like, the colors are kind of muted and boring. And, and you know, there's this Instagram channel called Official Sad Beige, which is all about, like, <laughs> you know, sad beige things, like mostly children's toys and children's clothing. And the woman who runs it kind of pretends to be Werner Herzog, you know, the German filmmaker who's kind of very dried and deadpan. And, and she imitates him and he goes like, Ah, uh, these are the sad clothes of the sad children, you know? And it's like, I felt like <laughs> as I'm doing the hands-on, 
I was feeling like I'm listening to her do like one of her Instagrams, you know? And so I'm thinking, yeah, this is it. This is, this is what I'm feeling. Also, do you remember at the hands-on, I don't know if you did it in New York or San Francisco, but in San Francisco, all the the sets they created, like the backgrounds for us to do the hands-on were also super beige, super muted colors, super boring. Do you remember last year in New York, how bright the colors were for the, the props and stuff for the Z flip and the Z fold? Oh, they had them bright in New York. No, here, like, look at my hands-on. It's all, like, super muted, super, like, you know, basically the same colors as the phones. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what were you thinking exactly? Like, this is not appealing. So anyway, yes, this is just, let's start with saying that the colors are muted and boring, but it's nice that you get the exact same four colors for all three phones, which I think hasn't happened before. They, they made a big fuss about that. How do you feel about it? So I actually like that. I think, you know, like this, this purple this year reminds me of the purple that was in the smaller 22 and 22 plus last year. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. that but obviously, Sammy, Samsung going to be Samsung. And that means that <laughs> the colors you probably do want, graphite, the gorgeous sky blue the red and nobody in any way whatsoever should ever buy the lime green one those are <laughs> samsung.com unlocked only exclusive colors yeah and it's that's interesting where they've gone graphite and lime green is all but if you want the blue or the red you have to buy the ultra so i get why they need to do something of an upsell you know what's really weird though about it is that they didn't tell us this at the briefing or at the hands-on they didn't say there were other colors Oh. I didn't find that out until like the day of so, the event. The thing about it is I asked them and they were forthcoming about it. Okay. So I don't think they were going to, I don't think they were volunteering that information, but they never do. But based right. on last year, I was like uh, to one of the guys, all right, so are there exclusive colors? And he was like, yep, here's the four exclusive colors. Here's this, here's this, here's the ones that's going to come in there. So I was like, well, that's something, because in the past, they wouldn't have said a word. Exactly, exactly. So let's go over the three phones real quick. I, I mean, before we get in the, the weeds and the detail, I kind of want to say that this is, you know, everybody by now, it's been a few days, you've figured out this is super evolutionary. This is super iterative. You know, there are some very important and good things here. Like, I feel like, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the camera, the 200 megapixel main sensor on the S23 Ultra. And I think we should talk about maybe the Snapdragon chips because last year's big disappointment for all of us across the board, not just Samsung, was the 8 Gen 1 being kind of hot and, you know, in terms of performance running hot and not being as efficient as it could because it's made by Samsung. And then we essentially got the same chip six months later made by TSMC, the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1, and it just kicked ass, right? So we all felt kind of slighted because we're like, why did Samsung not wait to launch this phone with the better chip? Because if you have an S22 of any kind from last year, you have a Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, and it's not the best performing chipset, right? What's funny is, it's not the first time that's happened to Qualcomm, is it? Where they go no. for a mega launch with, with the Samsung, 
Uh, their chipset has an eight at the beginning of it, <clears throat> eight oh eight, and uh, oh, the eight ten and the eight oh eight, yeah. And it oh my all god, goes to beep. Yeah, but it's not. It, it wasn't as bad as that, but it, it felt still like, you know, they never released a phone. You know, I mean, other than the folding phones, they never made a phone later in the S series that had the right chip. So essentially, think of it this way: if you skip the S twenty two last year, right? This year you're getting the best the you're getting the best chip that that they, that's Qualcomm can make and it's made by TSMC and you're getting it across all markets you're not getting Exynos anymore you're getting the good chip now is Qualcomm going to make an 8 plus gen 2 of course will it be better who knows but i don't think that like so far the testing shows that this chip is solid like i've played with the Red Magic 8 Pro the you know, and I can't talk about the other phone that I played with that has that chip, but like the benchmarks are holding up in the terms of like, it's a slight improvement of 8 plus Gen 1 and 8 plus Gen 1 was a great chip. So, so we're getting I, on these S23s, good chips. What's interesting is I've played with a, uh, a couple, what, one or two, I forget which ones. But what's interesting about this is I wonder if this is a one-off and I hope it's not. What I want to see We've already seen Samsung do this with Google on wearables, right. on phones. Yeah. And we've seen them do it with Microsoft. We're finally getting to the point, and there is a whole level of irony around this, yeah, where the only way anyone can truly compete in the ecosystem world is by partnering up and doing this properly for the benefit of everybody. What's ironic is, obviously, is that it takes a Samsung, a Google, and a Microsoft to work together, uh, and a Qualcomm, to basically do what Apple did on its own. Now, this is not an Apple fan boy podcast in any way in this show. This is all about Samsung. But let that sink in for a minute. Like, yeah. wait, to really run an ecosystem around Android, it takes four companies collaborating, and that's, that's where it comes into. So I'm hopeful that, you know, that Samsung abandons Exynos because they kind of should at this point. MediaTek's eating their lunch. Qualcomm's eating their lunch. And Samsung has the display division. They don't need to do everything. Yeah. And I'd rather they kind of went fully into the partnership mode that Qualcomm, they, you know, the Snapdragon for Galaxy was a every year thing whereby, and you get to a point where it's more than just an overclock and it's really optimized performance. It's the nuances of working together, because that's where I think we get to a truly special experience. Yeah, and, and we didn't mention this, but for those who don't know, this is a specially binned version of the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. So it's the, the best coming off the assembly line. They're tested, and basically anything that uh, can sustain 3.36 gigahertz on the, on the, you know, the power core, whatever it's called, is then approved as a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 4 Galaxy and put in the S23. So you're getting a kind of the top tier of the Galaxy chips. And uh, because believe it or not, you know, the everything that's manufactured in the semiconductor world, uh, you know, there's a range of quality that comes out of the assembly line and, and they meet certain specs. But if you narrow the specs down a little further, it's called binning. And you can have that at the low end or at the high end. And that's also why if you look at Apple Silicon, right, whether it's the iPhones or the MacBooks, 
you have certain MacBooks with less cores, uh, GPU cores or CPU cores, like the low-end entry-level MacBook Airs, for example, et cetera, because they're using the kind of the chips that are the lower bin chips and saving a bit of money that way because they're not throwing them out. They're able to reuse them, even though they only have seven GPU cores instead of eight, for example, because one of them was underperforming. So they, or maybe it wasn't working at all because, you know, it's very complex when you're creating a CPU, like a, sorry, a chip, a processor, an SOC with, you know, like eight GPUs in it. So that's kind of what binning, binning's been around forever. Intel, Basically, when they make a Core i7, you know, the kind of cheaper ones are the binned ones, and the more expensive one are the higher-end binned ones. Like, they're actually selling you the same processor, labeling it something different, and it's actually, you know, it's not always like that. I'm sure that Rich would correct me at some point. But <laughs> I'm just trying to say that this is not a new phenomenon, and I think, I think it's Rich pretty would, smart. I think Rich be shouting at us. Yeah, we listen yeah. to this going, this is wrong. <laughs> That's right. You know, he was on the show last week, so maybe uh, next time he's on the show, he can tell me I was wrong about the Core i7. But, um, you know, so this is good. But the other thing that I think a lot of people have glossed over, I think, is there's a new front-facing camera across the board, right? And it's a much higher performance. So it is uh, bigger pixels. And, uh, you know, last year's S22 Ultra had a 40 megapixel front camera, and it was... I was okay. And then the, the other two, I think, had a 10 megapixel or something. But the point is that they've across the board upgraded the selfie camera. It has autofocus. It, it had that before, but it's just a better sensor. And with the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, which has a really good ISP, you know, they talked a lot about the camera performance in general and the selfie performance in particular. And of course, then there's a 200 megapixel sensor, which I want to dedicate some special time to. But it's important to note that you're getting a better selfie cam. How do you feel about that, Narav? It's funny. I'm sitting here just taking a selfie. I've been super impressed with this. Like, yeah, the front-facing camera works. And actually, what makes it really work is the ISP, the post-processing, all of that. Yeah. Whereby I'm looking at myself now, and it's, it's really good. It's really good. And the autofocus is really fast. Yeah, it's nice. It so works look well in night mode. Like... I want to quickly, before we jump into the 200, I kind of want yeah. to almost give you my one minute thing about this. Because I, everybody's been saying, what is, this is just a small upgrade, yada, 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 yada. That's true on paper. Yeah. But I actually think where these changes have been made is what makes them super special. There's lid, like, it might look like the same phone, or in some cases on paper, oh, it went from a 40 megapixel to a 12 megapixel selfie camera. Oh, it's now got the 200 megapixel, and that's obviously a thing. But this is actually a product that I think when we look at the evolution of the Ultra, this is where I think it starts to actually live so far, and we're only, what, 48 hours in, lives up to the Ultra name, lives up to the camera promise that we've been expecting for years i've yeah. been taking some i have taken some just nuts photos yeah you know i i took photos with unbelievable i took photos with the telephotos which haven't changed and even they are significantly better just from the image processing perspective yes and that's i'm noticing that right away difference. like and then the other thing is and again i, I guess we're getting into it now but 
you know, maybe let's talk about the 200 megapixel because it enables a whole bunch of things. I recently reviewed the Xiaomi 12T Pro, which came out in October, which was one of the first phones with uh, ISOCELL HP1, the first 200 megapixel phone uh, and camera sensor. And it had a Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. So it wasn't optimized to take advantage of the sensor, but itself, it showed some incredibly cool things that can be done with that sensor, right? So, of course, this is the HP2, which is the second generation, actually the third generation, because there's also an HP3 that came out in between those two. Um, but it's it's um, mostly the software optimizations on the Snapdragon that make a difference. Because on the Xiaomi, and you know Xiaomi has pretty good uh, image processing pipeline, and it was, you could tell that they needed to fine tune some stuff. But with Samsung here, I feel like, remember on the first 108 megapixel, the S20 Ultra, they had some tuning to do, right? This is not the case. I feel that this is solid, that they seem to have learned that they shouldn't launch the first gen sensor, <laughs> you know? And What's that funny they is found I the partner with someone. Qualcomm. Yeah. I said this to someone before the, like when we started to see the whole, you know, when they announced the fact that, here we have a new 200 megapixel sensor and it's going to be powering the next Galaxy, which A is totally a playbook straight out of the OnePlus playbook, let's be honest. Yeah, let's strip the most important stuff and try and get people excited. I think I said to someone where I was like, yeah, but you know what? You don't buy a first gen, next gen camera like this from Samsung because we've been burned by the S20 Ultra. Actually, I think they learned their lesson. Actually, this thing is pretty well. This rock is the third generation. This is the third generation sensor, and I think again, as I just said, it's the Snapdragon eight Gen two doing all the heavy lifting here. In addition, you know, it's super well tuned. And here are the things that I mentioned on my Xiaomi review that are valid here. And this is the things you have the takeaways you have to walk away as a camera phone enthusiast. As I know my audience are a lot of you are. The megapixel count is not important per se. It just enables new functionality. And that new functionality comes in basically three big areas. The first one is you can pixel bin in two different ways. You can pixel bin 16 pixels down to one, so four by four, or you can pixel bin four to one, like two by two, and so if you pixel bin 16 to one, you get a 12.5 megapixel photo. So what does that enable? You know, pixels that are, you know, something like 2.4 microns. So they're like massive pixels. Also notice the f-stop on this camera is f over 1.7. Last year, the S22 Ultra was f over 1.8. So you get another bit of f-stop. And all that together is going to give you some incredible low light performance at 12.5 megapixel. And we're seeing that. Now, the cool part is that if you pixel bin four to one, you get down to 50 megapixel. And with enough light, not a lot, like normal daylight, it looks incredible. And I hate to say this, but I wrote it in my Xiaomi review on Geekspin. If 50 megapixels is a sweet spot. 200, you can shoot at 200 and you need a lot of light and it looks incredibly detailed, but you need a lot of light. And the picture sizes are like 60 megapixels. It's not worth it. At 12.5, you're getting 
you're losing a lot of detail actually, but you're you're getting that low light. You're getting that really great night nightography that I call night photography. But I think the sweet spot is shooting at fifty. If you shoot at fifty. Holy crap, Nirav, the detail is unbelievable. And only thing your is low light, light is okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, here's the thing. It's okay. I would take the 12 megapixel in low light over the 50 in low oh, light. Oh, yeah. No, you don't want to shoot in low light with a 50. But in daylight, shoot with a 50. Oh, absolutely. The file sizes are 15 megabytes. 15 is fine. You know, it's not huge. You're not taking too much space on your Phone, and you get so much detail. So in daytime, I, I shoot it at 50. At night, I, sh- I go back to 12, and I never use the 200, basically. But the other thing that it enables is lossless 2x zoom, because that 4x4 pixel binning, if you crop the sensor you know, down to a quarter of the size, you get a 12 megapixel photo at 4x4 binning, and you still get incredibly good quality at 2x zoom, and it's completely lossless. And, you know, Apple's done it with their 48 megapixel sensor. Google's done it on the Pixel 7 series with the 50 megapixel sensor. This is nothing new. But trust me, when you have 200 megapixels to play with and the pixels are 0.6 microns and you combine them into 1.2 microns at 2x, you're now getting a 12 megapixel photo that's probably as good as what the 12 megapixel sensor from Samsung two years ago was doing on the S, you know, whatever, the S20 or S21, or maybe the uh, the Z Fold and the Z Flip, you know? It's that amazing. And to me, that's the versatility that computational photography brings to the table. It, it's not so much the 200 megapixel, like, yeah, it looks good on paper, but it's overkill, really. Like, even professional cameras, unless you have a Hasselblad medium format, you're not shooting at 200 megapixel. But this enables all this computational trickery even further than before. And again, I think that, you know, we're going to see the benefits of this. And I wouldn't be surprised if 200 becomes the standard across the board on Android very, very quickly on the flagship side. What's funny is, this this made me laugh because I was looking this up. I was like, huh, who was first to 200 megapixels? It was bloody Motorola. Yeah, and that's actually a crappy phone because they don't have the image processing. And there were three phones launched within two weeks of each other with the HP One, the first sensor. There was the Moto Edge 30 Ultra. There was the Xiaomi 12T Pro that I mentioned. And then there was an Infinix Zero Ultra. And the yeah. Infinix, I have the Infinix and I have the um, I have the Xiaomi. And one day I ran across, I don't know who it was, one of the European, uh, uh, you know, journalists that had the Moto and we did a comparison. And of all three of them, the Moto was clearly the worst. Even the Infinix was better. <laughs> and then of course the Xiaomi was the best of the three. But also the Xiaomi has the fastest lens in terms of F-stop of the three. So that's another contributor. That's a 1.7. So you know that's the thing. Like I'm amazed that they made an F over 1.7 lens on a 200 megapixel sensor. That is baller. And then let's speak about the OIS because it's twice the angle of variation in every position as a normal OIS. And you can tell. Oh, the yes. The stabilization on this is outstanding. I agree. I agree. And so, you, you know, as Narav said, I want to validate and reinforce what Narav said earlier because... 
and and it kind of goes against what I initially said. This is a very incremental, very you know you know iterative type of thing, but it is because if you have an S twenty two, unless you're like a fanatical photographer, this is not going to be an up worthy upgrade. But if you have an S twenty one or S twenty series phone of some kind, it will be a worthy upgrade. If you're coming from an S ten, oh my god, right. I still think that if you look at the S23 Ultra and you add up the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2, you add up the 200 megapixel sensor and that 12 megapixel front camera, overall, it's a pretty big leap forward, at least in imaging, because of these three things. Tap what you just said. If you have an S22 Ultra, should you upgrade? That's... And this is a segue into my other... What I like to... I really think we definitely want to talk about, which is the whole trading debacles this year. Oh, let's talk about the, that. The, so, should you buy? You know, last year, the answer was resounding yes from 21 yes. to 22. Not even because the phone was massively different. It was because, well, hey, we can just, it's going to cost you 100 bucks or something silly like that. That was yeah. because of the trading value. This year, it's going to cost you 700 Because the Max will give you, isn't it? the S22 Ultra, they're going to give you 500 bucks. Different if you choose to go via your carrier, which is definitely a Samsung kind of push this year. Is it worth it? If you, if taking photos is what you care most, and in my opinion, battery life is super important to you, make the trade. And in fact, don't trade your phone in. Buy the new one, sell your old one on or eBay, something yep. like that. Yep. It'll cost you about $400. And I genuinely do think that that's a worthy upgrade for those two things. The battery life and the camera, because so far, I, it's too early to say, but the, so far, the battery has been pretty good for me in the last day. Well, that's so. the thing about the 8 Gen 2 that, you know, it's not just performance, it's efficiency. That's what the TSMC manufacturing process brought with the 8 Plus Gen 1, and the 8 Gen 2 is built on that. So I think that's a big improvement. But the trading values are interesting because, you know, you, you're right. It's like, I feel like Samsung is feeling the heat you know, in terms of like, look, I'm a big believer that as much I've taken advantage of these trade-ins. I think it's been awesome for a lot of people, but it's not sustainable from a, like a business perspective. Like it doesn't really, first of all, it's not really good for the environment. And secondly, it's not sustainable for, you know, the company's bottom line. And so I'm not surprised that they changed their tune on that a little bit. And at the same time, you know, answering your question, I think that if I could afford it, I would upgrade. But if I couldn't, I don't think I would be totally upset because the S22 Ultra still holds, you know, holds its own. But I want to say that if you can't, like you can't, it's not financially worth your while. Like even it's like, say you, you, you live in a part of the world where it's going to be hard to find a private seller and you'd rather sell in person. Cause I understand you don't want to do eBay and ship and stuff. Like maybe hang on to it another year. Cause the S24 Ultra, will probably have an even better 200 megapixel sensor or processor or whatever. And well, maybe so, we maybe the, the S24 Ultra will be the next generational shift, you know. So when we were talking that's to right. uh when we were talking to the guy who runs the R&D and development of all the Galaxy devices including the foldables, he had yeah. a very prescient phrasing for me. But we asked, okay, so what is the scale? He's like, you know, an average product is planned, built, dynamically changes, but generally they start the process of building and road mapping three years out. Yeah. So that explains why we're at 
108, 108, 108 for three years. Now we hit 200. Yeah. And the question is, will we see those generational shifts? I think because they've nailed the 200 so well, my guess, and now that they've pretty much nailed the front facing, yeah. my guess is the next, and you know, we look at, you look at the Huawei's of the world, you look at where Vivo's going with stuff, you look at how we've done stuff in the past. My yeah. best guess is next year we're going to see, uh, we're going to see them go and pay more attention to ultra wide which I think they have the best ultra-wide of anybody because of the saturation that goes yeah. into the... Pro- and I think we'll see more changes in the telephoto. And I think we will see the 200 come to the S24 and 24 Plus. I don't think we will. I actually think... So one more thing Peter said was... We are, I, asked, I actually asked him, I think. So you've got the regular S23 has a very clear purpose in existence. Why? Right. The ultra is everything. Why does the Plus exist? And yes, it's the third battery, bit battery display and stuff like that. But I was like, do you have plans to make, to give the Plus its own generational shift a little bit, whereby you have three very clear devices? Or are you going to have, are you going to then maybe take an Apple approach where you have the regular and the Plus, and then you've got the Ultra and Ultra Mini or something, a smaller version of the Ultra, you know, where it's like that. And that he said where they are thinking, they, you know, that they do have plans to give the plus its own clear kind of like identity. I don't think we'll see it in the regular S24 because I think it's too small to support something like this. But here's what I think we'll start to see. I think we'll either see the plus go with the full sensor and start to have almost start to act like the the smaller version of the Ultra, but maybe it keeps the full HD plus display. You know what I mean? Right. Without going to yeah. WQHD Plus. Kind of like that's a, where they a, cut a little bit. And but the, what they affordable is, premium flagship. Yeah. Yeah. So but they keep it at the thousand dollar mark. They still have because funny enough, if you look at the plus on paper, you look at the plus versus an iPhone 14 Pro, I think I'd go with an iPhone 14 Pro. Yeah. The plus to me, me doesn't have the same value prop, whereas the Ultra is better value than an iPhone 14 Pro Max. So I think 100%. if they were to bring the 200 megapixel to the plus right or even bifurcate into three where we suddenly go the plus has the 50 megapixel one inch where they start to take the full vivo approach of we have the x90 x90 pro and x90 pro plus they're all the same name but they're three different devices for different props and it's funny when we say that i don't know whether i'd buy the x90 pro plus or the x90 pro because one of them has this freaking one-inch CMOS sensor, and I'm like, but the other one has everything else. And you're like, huh. So that's where we get into a level of, I think, super interestingness. Like, Samsung's got this established trifecta. Now it needs to go, how do we make the Plus? And I think you, they can do a better job of making the Plus the phone that everyone should buy. Yeah. Speaking of which, as an aside, I got an email this morning. I didn't put it in the show notes, but the Vivo X90 and X90 Pro, not the Plus, but the, the other two. That's why I brought it up. Are now available internationally starting today. So I'm going to try to get a review unit. As far as I know, actually, Narav, the 90 Pro cameras are identical to the 90 Pro Plus. The only difference is the, is the processor. You're getting Dimensity 9200 instead of Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. Really? Yeah. As far as I know, it's the same deal. So, you know, that's not a bad thing. 
I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually going to look at the the numbers right now, but I'm pretty sure because I played with them at CS. Uh, Brad had them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are the same. There's the, oh, no, the only kind of difference would be in the... Uh, no, the Pro Plus. So they're all slightly different. I'll, I'll shout the specs out quickly. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, regular X90 has the... We don't care about megapixel, that one. 50 megapixel wide, 12 megapixel telephoto, 12 megapixel ultra wide. X90 Pro, 50 megapixel wide, looks to be the exact same. Uh, looks to be a better, better. Yes, yeah, the one inch. I think it's the same design. sensor as the Pro Plus. It's the it's the yeah, one so inch. Yeah, the sensor. Pro Plus versus the different. They both have the 50 megapixel wide, the one inch type, six, 1.6 micron. But then they have, yeah. So then they have, they both have a 50 megapixel telephoto. Okay. At 50 mil, they yeah. both, um, and then the Pro, and uh, then the Pro has the 12 megapixel ultra wide. The Pro Plus has a secondary yeah. 64 megapixel periscope at 3.5x optical. Correct. Yeah. And it has a 48 megapixel ultra wide. Yeah. So I'm just saying in terms of main sensor, I'm pretty sure you get the one inch sensor on the 90 Pro. Yeah. So I that X90 Pro is interesting. Yeah. That's I think that's what they're going to send me because from what I've heard yeah. about, they're not going to send us the Chinese uh, Pro Plus unfortunately so if you get a review unit i mean you might be able to finagle yourself one by convincing them some way but if you buy it yourself you can buy it of course but i'm not buying phones anymore so i'm getting uh, probably a vivo x90 pro non-plus <laughs> so stay yeah. tuned for that but anyway look back to the galaxy for a second i feel like it's a tough question to answer whether you should upgrade your s22 ultra but if you can i think i think you should if, especially if imaging is your your main thing, if if that's what you do with your phone, it's probably well, worth it. Uh, let's 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 also be real. Like we talk about, you know, most people in this world, everyone listening to this is probably buying on lot, but ninety eight yeah, percent oh yeah. of the people are buying on carriers, and I think it gets interesting because on a carrier deal, your base Verizon, uh, T-Mobile will give you a thousand off. Verizon will give you a thousand off. AT and T will give you a thousand off, or close yeah. to it. At yeah. that point, it's a no-brainer. You trade in your old one, yeah. buy a new one. It's a couple hundred bucks. Job done. Such a no-brainer. So it depends how you're buying it. Question though, Miriam, how would you like? What are your take on the others? Well, I was just gonna go there. Yeah, we haven't talked much about the twenty-three and twenty-three plus. Look, uh, the industrial design slightly different. I kind of like the contour housing. I thought it really made them stand out. Can you know, you see a pixel out there, you recognize it now. You see an iPhone out there, the the Pro, the three cameras, you recognize it. Even the the non-Pro with because the camera are diagonally across each other. I kind of feel like obviously in North America where Samsung is very popular, we're going to recognize the S23 in people's hands because it has the same camera pod as the S23 Ultra now. It's just does it's lost the contour and it's got the three individual lenses. But it doesn't seem quite as appealing to me. Remember the S20s and tw like the whole series oh, how boring I it have. looked? Yeah. How sadly oh boring that design was. I kind of feel like a little bit like not this is obviously not as boring because the colors are more interesting or whatever. But I just feel like this is a step back in design, but it does Wait. unify you it does unify the three phones to be more like each other, right? The S20 is the ones that had the contoured edge in the separate colors. No, you're thinking the S21. Huh. 
No, one second. The Sorry. S20 had had like looked like an Oppo phone. It had that the rectangle camera. It was really boring. You couldn't tell it apart from like it could have been like it looked like the Snapdragon phone for oh, Snapdragon lovers. It right. was just totally boring. You are right. Never mind. Right? Yeah. So the S21 introduced the contour, and then the S22 like kind of refined that, and then the S23 is taking that away but keeping the general shape an overall look of the 22s last year. I I think that you're going to get a ton of benefits from, even though the cameras haven't changed other than the front camera, the camera setup on the S23 is pretty solid. And I think with a new processor, we're going to see even better imaging out of the, the base models. Yeah, so that's actually where it gets super interesting for me. Like, my sister loves... My sister, my mom, my brother-in-law, they're all Samsung users. My sister loves her S22 Plus. Mm-hmm. She, she bought it before she could she ask me about that, but even though I gave her the last three before then. And she loves it. I bought my brother-in-law the S22 Ultra last year. Yeah. Because he was using a Note 8, and this was the perfect phone for him with the camera. And he had a, you know, he'd just given... My sister had just given birth to my niece and all this stuff. Now my sister's like, damn. But then she still loves it. My mum loves the S22, the regular S22 I bought her. And it's the bloody Exynos version in the UK. Ooh. Yeah, but she's fine with it, she, but she loves the camera. And that's where the Ultra is the one that everyone wants. It's the halo. The reality is... That I think the plus and the regular are probably the one that most people need. Yeah, 100%. The, and what's, what's also fascinating, by the way, one thing we didn't touch on in the camera. So the OIS, the faster F-stop, you know, the, the, the effects with the computational photography, the 8 Gen 2, where it's made an incredible difference this year, and it's noticeable, is, okay, let me ask you, Miriam, what is the one camera feature on every Samsung phone that, or what is your favorite thing about a Samsung camera? Portraits, portrait shots. For me, it's portrait, but specifically color point mode. I take about 50% of my pictures in color point because it's an artistic design thing that just makes you think. I've noticed that the S23 Ultra is, there's a significant improvement over the S22 Ultra specifically in portrait color points. Interesting. I haven't tried that yet. Um, But look, I think that um, going back to the regular phones, I think I'm excited that the S23 still exists because I feel like it's it's a compact nowadays to today's standards flagship that it hits all the boxes. And that is not something you see very often anymore. Like even Apple's not making the iPhone mini, although the mini is much smaller. But I think like, I feel like this is a good thing. I feel like the fact that Samsung's sticking with that for a lot of people, it's going to be the sweet spot. And it's $799, which is the most affordable. And you essentially get the same you know, features as the bigger, more expensive phones. So I don't know. I think that I've always been a big fan of the base model S series phones because they are probably the best value you can get you know, out yeah, of the I three, think the if S23 you think about it. is the... That's the one that most people should buy. We, you know, we haven't got review units and stuff, but I'll be honest, 
I added a line to my T-Mobile account because I have a very sweet deal with T-Mobile. Mm -hmm. So the line's costing me something like 15 bucks a month, additional yeah. line. Yeah. But I did it via Samsung's website. And guess what? what? You get $800 off. No trading <laughs> nice. required. And for an unlocked phone, right? Uh, I don't know if it's unlocked or not, but you're, you are basically getting the entire phone for free. You, not right. requiring a trade-in. It's just add a line. That's a stonking deal. That is good, for sure. I, I feel like, you know, for me, I draw the line at buying. Like, I will, I, I will if, it's, if it's unlocked, I'm okay with that. But if it's not, I'm not because on an iPhone, if I, I've bought iPhones from T-Mobile because they were out of stock at Apple stores, or, you know, and 30 days later, because I've been a customer forever, they'll unlock my phone. And because it doesn't have any of T-Mobile's crap on it, it's just a normal iPhone at that point. But with the Galaxies, right, if you buy a Galaxy from T-Mobile, I'm, I'm not saying like you did, you know, you bought it through Samsung, but I'm saying if you buy it directly from T-Mobile or like AT&T oh, yeah, or like Verizon, much. like you, you, you get firmware that has apps you can't remove and you get different, like differences that I think are unacceptable. So to me, I will always prioritize the, you know, the, the manufacturer versions, as it were. So this is what I'm interested to see, because this is the first year, this is the very first year that you can check out on Samsung.com through a carrier. In previous so be interesting years, to see what you get. <laughs> yeah, in previous years, they will sell you it. Well, they will not sell you it. Though You can click through, and then they take you to the carrier website to finish it off. Oh. This is the first time you do the fully inter... And remember, Apple did the same thing years ago, where it was the first one was, hey, buy it on Apple. We get the credit, but hey, we'll send you through to finish that purchase, yeah? Right. Now, with the example, my iPhone 14 Pro Max, couldn't find one at, at Apple Unlocked because it was way out exactly. of stock. So I actually bought the T-Mobile one from Apple fully unlocked. And that's the interesting play because this is the first time we're seeing Samsung do this. We'll see whether it's, if it's not unlocked, I'm probably not, I'm probably just going to return the damn thing. It yeah. doesn't make sense. I, to me, I mean, I'm not too worried it's if it's locked. I'm more worried that if it's got the stupid, like baked in apps that you cannot remove. If it's got, if it comes with any preloaded apps, it's also locked because it's yes. fundamentally going to be 100%. locked in the T Mobile firmware. But and it all might that also stuff. be. It might also be free of carrier bloatware and locked, which would be a kind of an interesting in-between. And then you can get it unlocked from T-Mobile 30 days later. Yeah, well, no, T-Mobile won't because they do the whole uh, if you're on a payment plan. And when you're getting it for eight, when you're basically getting it for free, you are technically on a payment plan and all that nonsense. So, oh, yeah, because yeah, so. you have a new line on top of that. Yeah, right. So, well, anyway. I don't care. It's a $200 phone. 200 $60 phone. Let's uh, switch to talk about the news because I, I, I want to get everything in the show here. Uh, look, uh, the takeaway for those phones is, you know, it's evolutionary. It's incremental in many ways, but there are some significant things here. And if you are on an older phone, I think it's a no-brainer for on a newer phone. Um, I think if you're on an S22 or 22 Plus, probably not worth it. But if you're on an S22 Ultra and you're really into imaging, it might be worth the upgrade if you can pull it off somehow. You know, that's basically my takeaway. Uh, I agree with that. 
All right, so let's talk about the Galaxy Book 3 series very briefly. You know, I'm not a huge laptop person, but they made four uh, laptops that are uh, 14-inch Pro, 16-inch Pro, 16-inch Ultra, and a 16-inch convertible, like a a 360-degree kind of hinge deal. And honestly, they're all very similar. They have 120 hertz OLED displays at like 1800 by I think 2880, which is pretty high res. Uh, and AMOLED, of course, which is pretty hot. They're thin, they're light, they're made of metal. They have uh, a nice complement of ports, including USB-A for those of you who want some legacy ports. They have, um, you know, I mean, they're they're nice, but they didn't stand out to me too much. They have 13th gen Intel chips. You can get on the, the Ultra is interesting because you can get a uh, RTX 4070, 4050, and or 4070. So it's 4050 base upgradable to 4070, and the only I looked at. And it, then you can get a Core i9. So if right? you buy the Core i9, you get 32 gigs of RAM, and instead of the 512, it it which is the base, you get the free upgrade to one terabyte, and it comes with the 4070. So you've essentially only got, despite their configurations, there's only really two variants you're buying. You're either buying an i7 with an mm-hmm. RTX 4050, 16 gigs of RAM, and I think it's 512 gigs of storage instead of the 256 base because of the free upgrade, free, which I do love that they do. It increases retail value next year and stuff like that. Yeah. Or you pay for the i9, which comes with 32 gigs of RAM, uh, a 4070 and one terabyte. Now the i the i7 is 2200, I think, and the i9 is with all the upgrades is 2700. Right. Interestingly, if you buy it with an S23, you get some you get some pretty interesting discounts. Yeah. On it, like 400 off. And they have like some obviously some features that integrate software-wise between the two lines of devices and all that. But look, I cannot get excited about these because the MacBook Pro and MacBook Air exist. And once you go ARM, at least properly done, which Windows hasn't done properly yet, but once you go ARM, it's hard to go back to Intel or anything. That's the thing we're waiting for. Can you imagine Samsung and Qualcomm working together to build the and microsoft and microsoft the three of them really partnering to build the next generations of pcs because yeah the only way that i think in the long run this works as a challenge dell's gonna make a splash and will have its own you know will have its own roadmap and stuff like that etc but for people to really be able to go There is an alternative in the mindset of, say, of journalists and creators like us, who there is a lot of influence over regular consumers at the end of the day, because the influence people we know, you know, it has to be Qualcomm, Microsoft, and Samsung working together to build the ultimate Galaxy book with the ultimate optimizations of Windows and the ultimate chipset, including connected from Qualcomm. And all three have to work in sync because it is the only way that over the next 10 years, Apple, the Mac doesn't suddenly take a 30, 20, 30, 40% market share of the industry. I mean, it's inevitable. If the Windows Intel P 
PC world doesn't wake up and smell the coffee and doesn't seriously start doing some ARM stuff to compete with the Macs or Apple Silicon in general. I don't think PCs are long for the world, guys. I don't think it's sustainable what Intel is doing. And I've mentioned this a long time ago, and I think Intel made a drastic mistake selling Xscale back in the early 2000s, which was their ARM division. And they need to just swallow their pride and pivot from making x86 chips to ARM-based chips that are competitive with Apple's. And Qualcomm needs to do the same. And I know we know Qualcomm's working on it. Like they have that, they acquired that company. I can't remember what it's called Nuvia. now. But they're, Nuvia, they're doing that. But like, look, Intel, like x86 has its place. It still has years of runway. Like you servers, a whole bunch of stuff can run on, on x86. Gaming machines all day long. But here is what we want. We want a creator laptop of the same level of performance of a MacBook Pro, same level of battery, same level of thermals that we can run DaVinci Resolve or Premiere on that kicks ass, is light, is thin. It and has it, the three no, Ps. There's nothing like that out there. It has the three Ps. It has the performance, it has the productivity, and most importantly, it has the portability. Yeah. So... But Slight, slight sidebar for a second, because I, I try to bring this one thing up on any time I talk Qualcomm with anyone. Everyone should go and listen to the Acquired podcast, season 11, where they did a three-hour history of Qualcomm. It is, I, I know we don't like do shouts of anything, but honestly, I freaking love that episode. That episode is one of my favorite. And they've uh -huh. also done one on NVIDIA, on TSMC, on others. It's just astronomical about that. But what, why I brought it up was they made a very good point. And, you know, it's Ben, someone, and David Rosenthal. There are a couple of angel investors, SF, Seattle. Qualcomm's traditionally failed when it's gone outside mobile. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so now it's interesting to go, are they going to actually be able to pull this off? And this is a big challenge for them. I don't know. Like, we taught years ago in Hawaii, they were all about, oh, welcome to connected computing. This is the future. It didn't go anywhere. No. You have a few connected laptops. And, you know, right now in my head, I can hear a familiar voice, Mr. Rich Woods again. We like, we like talking about you, Rich, when you're not here, at least. And uh, <laughs> at this point, Miriam, you can just say with a cameo from Rich Woods when you tweet this. Um, yeah, right. Totally. But what I hear him go is inevitably in every single question. So Windows on ARM? Uh, Windows on ARM? Yeah. Um, hey, what about Windows on ARM? Windows on ARM? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm a Windows on ARM broken record for sure as well. Listen, I want to move on to the news because we're running out of time. There's a few items. Let's rapid fire through them. Nothing Phone 2 is coming to the US. So this has been confirmed by CalPay now. I mean, we knew it was coming, but it's good to know that it's not going to be the Nothing Phone 1, that they're working on a second-gen phone that's supposedly more premium. Uh, and when asked about pricing, he said, I, we consider the Nothing Phone 1 to be a flagship. So that, to me, tells you everything you need to know. I think if it's a little more premium, maybe a little more pricey, it's still going to be very affordable. And uh, I'm very excited about this. And apparently, they're prioritizing the U.S. market with a nothing phone too. So what I'll say is, don't forget, you know, most most kind of app at the end of the day, the uh, 
Carl Pei is running the OnePlus playbook all over again. A hundred percent. Fair play to him because he's proven now that OnePlus wasn't a one hit, wasn't a one off. Nope. He's proven that he's taken all the lessons he learned. Yeah. If you want to launch a brand new mobile brand, the honestly, if I had the fifty million dollars it would probably take to launch something, I'd be like, "Hey, Carl, come in on this." That's the first person you call. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. This is yeah. going to kick ass, guys. I, I'm expecting big things. I hope I don't swallow my words on that but one. But over five years, it's going to go up to flagship level pricing guaranteed. Of course it is. It's inevitable. <laughs> it's inevitable, right? And then he'll, yeah. he'll leave and start the something phone company. <laughs> Good call. All right. So speaking of OnePlus, since we just mentioned that, it's inevitable to mention Carpe and not mention OnePlus. OnePlus foldable names have been revealed through the Chinese regulatory filings. And uh, we now know they're going to be called OnePlus V Fold and OnePlus V Flip V as in victory, like this for those of you watching on Patreon. And that's actually very, so I never understood why Samsung calls their folding phones Z when they're clearly V phones. Uh, it's the hinge style. Oh, the Z hinge. Yeah, good point. They well, anyway, the, the point is, yeah. these are going to probably be very similar to the Oppo Find N2 and Oppo Find N2 Flip that Oppo has delivered recently. And, and in fact, I'm getting the, I did not get the N2 uh, for some reason, but I'm getting the N2 Flip to review. So stay tuned for that. That's launching in London just before MWC, like a week or so before. So, um, and I don't think Oppo is going to be doing any flagships at MWC from what I hear, but we're seeing more leaks. So it's probably coming maybe right after MWC of the Oppo Find X6 series. And, uh, you know, I don't like this industrial design. I, I don't know how you feel, but oof. that not a fan. I'm like, eh, I can, I'm like, eh, whatever. It's not the, to me, it's, I don't get why everyone's going in this weird thing. Like, what is that? What is the thing they call it? Is it trypophobia with the fear of circles? Yeah, and stuff yeah, like? that's right. Yeah, everyone's yeah. pushing device design. To a point where it's going to trigger. And trypophobia yeah. is something that triggers not a, not a small amount. You know, there's a enough of a proportion. Oh, it's a real deal. Yeah, for sure. And it's at different levels and stuff. I know I can't look at the Mac Pro, for example. It causes some weird thing. Not Megala, but trypophobia is a thing. And it's interesting that all design is heading in that direction. <laughs> it's so and weird. I'm going to go real sidebar for a second. It reminds me of something that uh, Scott Croyle, ex-Nextbit, ex-HTC used to say in the, when it comes to the design of stuff. You've got the industrial designers, but you haven't got people designing for humans. And that's right. where I think things, certain things are getting lost, where they're not thinking about what about those people? What about that? And I yeah. think if all phones yeah. go that way, I just don't like it. We've lost that. Be unique. You remember when we yeah, had Huawei? Yeah. No, I Huawei liked... was the one being unique with the big circles and doing yeah, things differently. And, but even the Find X5 Pro and 3 Pro, I thought were much more interesting looking. You know, that blended back that they had. I'm going to put up a link 
to the story from uh, GSM Arena with the specs. What the key takeaways are here is that there's three phones, obviously, and um, we're going to see uh, basically two pros and a non-pro. And uh, the 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 pro that has the, the, the two pros are one is a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 and one is a Dimensity, right? So that makes perfect sense. Can I and just then, say, it's great on a personal level because we know MediaTek, obviously, to see yeah. that you're now starting to see so many of these proper flagships launch with... There was a time when you were like, oh, it's a flagship. Okay, so we're pretty much certain it probably is going to be running a Qualcomm. And yeah, now yeah. you look at flagships and you're like, yeah, is that running totally. a Dimensity? I know. But here's what's interesting. Here's the takeaway that I'm making is that, is that unfortunately it's not as rosy as you think because... The Dimensity 9200 version of the Fine X6 Pro is got the lesser camera sensor. It doesn't have the one-inch sensor. So the, only the Snapdragon version is getting the one-inch sensor. And that bothers me because it's like with Vivo, they didn't do that. They still gave us the one-inch sensor. So you know, I think it's every phone, every company is obviously different, etc. And maybe there's a sweetheart deal with Qualcomm, whatever. But look in the grand scheme. Two years ago you couldn't buy a flagship really powered by a Dimensity chipset. No, no, this is a good thing. I'm just saying that why is MediaTek getting the lesser deal? See what I'm saying? Uh, so there, that's all. I don't know. I don't know either. And I told them about that because the same thing happened with the Find X5 Pro last year. There was a Dimensity edition for the Dimensity 9000 and the camera was detuned. Um, the, uh, the Find X6... Non-Pro, by the way, has a Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. And if they don't have the one-inch sensor, they have the same sensor as the OnePlus 11, which is the IMX980. So it's not a bad sensor by any means, but it's a downgrade, which is weird. Um, moving on, we have some leaks of the Xperia 1 Mark V, which I only brought in there because um, it has... It looks like it has bigger camera openings that to me means maybe bigger sensors and bigger lenses and you know i've always enjoyed the xperia phones because even though they don't have a lot of the computational tricks they still have some solid cameras and they're really well-rounded phones with headphone jacks and stuff like that and i like them in general but um this looks like um they might be cranking things up a notch with even bigger sensors, and I'm welcoming that, honestly. So there you yeah, go. That's why I put the it The only there. thing for me is, as long as they have any hope in hell of actually making the most of the sensors, the greatest hardware on the planet, we'll see if they can finally live up to the software chops, you know? Well, that is always the problem, right? I mean, that is always the challenge. And I feel like what I like about Sony software is that it's lightweight, but the, the camera imaging pipeline, they just don't seem to be believing in, in computational imaging as much as they should, in my opinion. I like the manual controls. I like all the alpha you know, vibe that they have going with the interface. But I, want, I still want my stacked HDR and I still want my, like, all my good stuff that they're kind of wimping out on sometimes, you know? And so I wish I could get the best of both worlds is what I'm saying. I agree. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know... Um, I want to quickly ask you what your thoughts are, just like very high level, about the rumors of the folding iPad. Because the rumors are yo-yoing. Like some 
the rumors come out and then they like, I oh, know it's not happening. They're just making OLED iPads like two, three years from now. And now we're hearing again that they're making maybe a folding iPad. And you know, the thought that I had, and I want you to kind of pick your brain about it is maybe they're going to brand a phone, an iPad instead. You know what I'm saying? Like they're going to make, I mean, this, the rumors don't corroborate this at all. So I don't think I'm right. But what if, like, let's play what if, what if three years from now, Apple launches an iPad that's a like 8.5, nine inch tablet, right? That folds and it's actually an iPhone. You know what I'm saying? But they branded iPad because it's a book style folding phone. Interesting, which would solve a lot of the complaints people have, which is, you know, what is that, etc. I don't necessarily, I think they're more likely to have the, the iPad is the right device to have a folding form factor. It's well, I mean, they're talking about a 20-inch display when it's open, which is insane. Like, we're talking, it's like, basically, you know that, that Lenovo laptop that's, like, really, the like, X1 folds fold. open? The X1 Fold, yeah. Mm. It's kind of that. Or, or the Asus one is, is kind of the same deal, too. So what I want to see, though, is, uh, for me, Apple will do it and probably do the hardware well enough because they have enough control over their supply chain. You know, yeah. the M2, M3, M4, whatever chipset is made for it. And I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they branded it as new, a Mac or they branded it something completely different where it wasn't called an iPad. It was called a whole new product line because right. it's an Apple thing to launch a whole new product line. True. Yeah. And it I would make know. a lot of sense. The iBook, you know, oh, that's yeah, the perfect iBook. branding for it. But. Yeah, the that's biggest right. it's not, thing. That it's not Apple, the first time that they've repurposed branding from old products like yeah, MagSafe. Face, yeah, and FaceTime, you know, for a long time it was called iSight, right? The FaceTime cameras in our laptops. Yep. The front cameras are now all called FaceTime. Uh, but FaceTime is also an app. So you could technically iBook is is iBooks is the you know book distribution platform from Apple, but I could be repurposed and called iBook. I agree with you. The question is, the big question of all is, can they make the software worth it? Why do I friggin' love the fold? And why do I why am I waiting, hoping? And this is why I don't think we saw a Galaxy tab this year. Yeah. I think next year is when the Galaxy tablets go foldable. Oh, yeah? Or no. In fact, I'm willing to put a marker in the sand that this August, with the Fold 5 and the Flip 5, we might finally see a foldable Samsung tablet. Could be. But the software just... is mature. They have the displays down pat. They have it all down. I'm just not feeling that Apple would make an iPad folding before they made a folding phone. I think they would. I think they because have the there's so much demand. A lot of iPhone users want a folding iPhone. They, a lot of them have played with the flip, particularly the flip, not the fold. And they're like, I love it, but I want this to be an iPhone. Why does the Apple start with that? It's, it's a low-hanging fruit. You can still sell all your normal iPhones. Just add that to the roster. And then as that improves, go up in size. I think it, they need to do the opposite. Uh, so this is where you and I disagree. <laughs> I think it's easy. Why did Samsung start fold and then go flip? When you're working with that bigger display, that it's a less technological challenge to make it go like that than to make it go 
to shrink down yeah, to hit yeah. that no, form no, factor to do point. all of that. To I figure out software and to go. I think more importantly, Apple is really risk averse, and they're more likely to. They don't want to jeopardize their flagship product, which is the iPhone. They want to possibly. It's it's easier for them to swallow jeopardizing their iPad product. So I have a question but for you there. I want them to stop being chicken shits. Okay, that's so all. So listen, this is a good. You brought this up, so I just have to say this. I was having a conversation with Ricky last night. Yeah. Uh, I forget what it was. It was one of the YouTubers. And it was not just Ricky, it was a few other people. And we were talking about what is the entryway into what is Apple's most important product. And I'm willing to turn around and say it is not the iPhone. Now, he was like, he was like, yeah, so he came up because he was like, I can't switch because I want the Mac. And it got me thinking, the Mac, the Apple Watch, the Apple TV, and the iPad are products that do not really have major competitors. Yeah. And they're the things that hook people into the ecosystem. Oh, 100%. And the iPhone is the byproduct. So in many ways, yes, iPhones generate so much revenue for them, whatever. But it'd be interesting to see if they would cannibalize. Like They would take a risk and jeopardize and do all of that because people are going to buy it because the rest of the product line is so bloody good. You know, yeah. where it's that kind of like interesting point. So, yeah, just a weird thought that came to mind. I think this is a this is a good this is a good one. You, you're making a good point. Yeah, and by the way, we're talking about Ricky, a two bit Da Vinci on on YouTube. There you go. Let's wrap up. Do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet and all your social media handles and all that good stuff? Yep. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash at Nirav. So it's N I R A V E. You can find me on Instagram. I have a new kind of channel I've been working on. It's Everyday Ooh. Tech, E-V-R-Y-D-A-Y. So there's only one E at the beginning, underscore tech. That's also going to be the new YouTube handle I work on. But you can also find me in the written word over at theshortcut.com. Nice. Awesome. I didn't realize you were writing there. I'm now partnering with Matt and I'm the new COO. Oh, of that business. Well, that's exciting news. You're hearing the scoop here first, folks. And you know where to find me on the internet. I'm a tanker. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character. Just drop the vowels and you get that on Twitter and on Instagram. Twitter is where you want to chat with me and Narav about the podcast. Instagram is where you want to go to see pretty pictures of phones, of cars, of travel, of food. Taken with phones, because that's how I roll. And uh, if you want some complimentary visuals to go alongside your podcast, like, for example, you want a, a hands-on video with the Galaxy S23s, check out my YouTube channels. There's two of them, youtube.com slash mobiletechpodcast and youtube.com slash mobiletechmore. Uh, one is about the phones and immediate accessories. And the other one is all the other cool tech, like home tech, car tech, travel tech. And uh, you know how YouTube works. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, click the little bell, comment. You can comment about the podcast as well if you want. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. So please subscribe and tell your friends. And if your app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. It'd be awesome. There is a Patreon. I mentioned it a few times throughout the show. 
show. If you want to see a video version of the podcast in advance with us showing our phones and other things, and, you know, a little bit less edited and a little more fun, check out the video version on Patreon, patreon.com slash TNKGRL. There's also access to our Discord server and a bunch of other perks you can check out there. I would appreciate that you consider supporting me. This is how I make the podcast happen every week, thanks to the generous contribution of our Patreons and our sponsors as well, like Mint Mobile. But, you know, any help that I can get is welcome. Uh, If you don't want to use Patreon and you want to contribute somehow financially, there is a PayPal link in the show notes, so please consider doing that as well. I love my coffee, so maybe you can buy me a $5 coffee. That'll help me fuel the podcast. And finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Mint Mobile. So as you know, I'm constantly reviewing multiple phones, and while that's fun, it also means I'm constantly spending a lot of money for wireless service on multiple SIMs. That's where Mint Mobile comes in, and that's who I'm partnering with for today's podcast. If you also want to save money on your wireless service, switch to Mint Mobile. As tech-savvy early adopters, you've probably heard of Mint Mobile before, but let me quickly tell you how awesome their service is. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for as low as $15 a month, and you don't have to sacrifice any coverage, speed, or data. They're built on the nation's largest 5G network. They keep costs low because they sell direct to you online. They cut out the retail stores and salespeople. Why should you pay more than you have to for access to the same network? In my experience testing phones, Mint Mobile delivers the same data speeds and call quality as the big three for a fraction of the cost. Switching to Mint is super easy. Thanks to their eSIMs, you can sign up and activate immediately right on your phone from the comfort of your home. No more standing around and waiting in line at a big wireless store. You can keep your current device and phone number and easily switch services. And if your phone isn't eSIM compatible, Mint will ship you a new SIM free of charge. All Mint Mobile plans include unlimited nationwide talk and text, lightning fast 5G, and free mobile hotspot. Mint will show you how much data you use each month and recommend plans that save you money. Mint also offers a modern family plan that lets you set up a super affordable family plan with as little as two lines. Use my link mintmobile.com slash mobile tech to get premium wireless starting for $15 a month. That's mintmobile.com slash mobile tech. Stop paying more than you need on your wireless bill and start saving big with Mint Mobile. And I also want to thank you, Narav, for being my guest yet again. Good times. Thanks for being on the show. No, thank you for having me. This is definitely something we have to do on the regular because I... You know what? There's nothing greater than just shooting the beep with you for an hour and 15. <laughs> like that. <laughs> shooting the beep. Awesome. Oh, Nirav. Thanks so much for being my guest again. And folks, stay tuned. We'll have another show next week. And uh, until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.